Chapter Fourteen of Doxy Dent by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Great Discovery. Now, Friday night had recently been made pay night at the mill, and consequently it had become the busiest one of the week at the clog shop. People came to order new clogs or to pay for repairs and so there was an intermittent stream of customers coming and going all the evening. Everybody who came on this particular night received the news about the lamplighter, and either strolled to the fire in order to discuss, at becoming length, all the bearings of such an extraordinary case, or else they hurried away to impart their news where they were sure of a sufficiently wondering reception. Consequently, as talk became more general, a great many new and interesting facts were gathered about this now all-popular young man. Everybody knew, now that they were reminded of it, that he had always been skew-ift and went golly-west to everybody else. John T. Harrop made a rather transparent bid for distinction by informing the company that Andrew had been his big piecer, and was reminded by another minder present that he was Ollis Maul in a bat wi' books. This recalled the fact, which nobody had thought of until now, that Andrew was scarcely ever seen abroad without a volume of some sort in his hand, and Luke Yates, his brother-in-law, imparted the additional information that you could hardly get into Andrew's chamber d'oral for books. Then the conversation drifted back to the meeting at the schoolhouse, and from that to the wonderful articles they had all relished so keenly in the Gazette. Mon! cried Sam, glaring with intense conviction at Ben. They'll ever sonneth Parliament if they lives long enough. But Ben closed his eyes and turned his head away, for he was not enjoying the discussion. At this point there strolled into the shop a person who very seldom resorted thither. It was little Eli, the village herb doctor. He was not only herbalist, but barber and blacking maker as well. He kept ferrets and canaries and all kinds of singing birds, whilst the village constable was only too aware that his house was the rendezvous of poachers. Every boy in Beckside could tell you that Eli had an infallible remedy for warts, and every old crone about the place consulted him about the charming of erysipelas and rheumatism. He was much more feared than liked in the village, and the clog-shop worthies held him in abhorrence. He had been nicknamed Little because of his enormous length, and nobody looking at his yellow wrinkled face and small deep-set eyes would be surprised that he was regarded as something uncanny. Disappointed at not finding Jabe behind the counter, Eli turned towards the large circle round the fire, and cried with a wicked leer that puckered his whole face, "'Ah, thout as o' the cliver lads in Beckside come out of Sunday school!' The only response was freezing silence, and Eli, never comfortable in the clog shop, but now intent on his little triumph, waited for a moment, and then went on. It seems owd Eli can teach as well as Maester Longworth, and he drew out Jabe's name with vicious grating sarcasm. Still nobody replied, and so, after waiting a moment or two, Eli threw his clogs down upon the counter, and turning again towards the fire, cried, "'Oh, say, Jabe!' "'Well, what is it?' came in gruffest tones from the ingle-nook. 
if yon ony moor lads you conna manage in your school send them o to me and with this last vindictive shot the herbalist disappeared the calculated bitterness of eli's words was only too effectual every face at the fire became overcast and the older men looked crestfallen and dismayed eli was a dangerous free thinker who had never been seen inside any place of worship within the memory of the oldest person present it was known that he received an infidel newspaper every week through the post and was an enthusiastic admirer of joe barker the atheistic ex-methodist preacher and iconoclast bradlaugh the older men remembered only too well that he had been in early life a chartist and was suspected of having a hand in some of the most disgraceful machinery riots of other days it was a characteristic of him that he never appeared in person in any disturbances but his was said to have been the secret hand that manipulated and guided things in the background he had a way of acquiring influence over other people's minds and was believed in most enthusiastically by those whom he patronized the influence however was of a most sinister character and his tools sooner or later got into trouble after a few minutes of almost complete silence ben greatly to the relief of all present got up and went home and so the tongs were set wagging again sam and the younger men called eli a lying slotch jabe and the elders looked dubious and said nothing and whilst luke yates told how quiet and decent andrew was at home nathan the smith recalled some of the startling and scandalous questions he used to ask before he left the school and so poor andrew's character was tossed about amongst them one moment promising to triumph over all slander and prejudice and the next sinking under the weight of condemnatory evidence he's the grandest lad as beckside's turned out since billy botch's time asseverated sam vehemently but quite as much to sustain his own fading confidence as to convince any one else and lige in the opposite corner of the ingle nook to the strangely silent jabe shook his head with dubious solemnity and murmured his mother always said as he'd break her hurt jethro the knocker-up was never of very much account and so his silence on this occasion attracted no particular attention until in one of the pauses lige after eyeing him over meditatively for some time suddenly leaned forward and tapping him on the knee asked what does thou think about it o owd lad this seemed to bring jethro back from a reverie for he started slightly on being appealed to and after looking musingly into the fire he got up with the evident intention of departing and then said sadly if owt bad does come on him there's some on us here as a lat answer for it here here what does mean be that demanded jabe as the others made way for jethro to go and the old knocker-up turned back for a moment gazed into the fire and then answered sadly oh thank goodness as it weren't a me as turned him out of the glass and with another heavy sigh he made for the door meanwhile the carpenter with a weight of misery settling slowly on his soul was making his way home arrived there he was treated to a very full and particular though partly imaginative account of andrew's recent doings by his wife and the worst that ben had heard at the clog shop 
was as nothing to what he now had to listen to. Andrew was an out-and-out atheist, and a member of secret clubs, and a ringleader among strikers, and a big man amongst all the lazy wastrels of Duxbury. And Mrs. Ben broke down in the middle of her story, and lapsed into tears. Ben, smarting under a sense of humiliation, was surly and morose, and told her to hold a racket, whereupon the distressed mother got him his porridge supper, and then sat down gloomily by the fire. Ben tried to eat, but could not, and so, after struggling with his food for a minute or two, he pushed it impatiently away, and drew up to the fire. His wife, watching him narrowly, noticed with a pang that he did not light his pipe, and so, after fidgeting in her chair for a little while, and silently handed him the family Bible for prayers. Ben kicked the book from his knee, and sprang to his feet as if he had been struck. "'Look on a woman!' he cried in wild grief. "'Oh, winner! Oh, never pray again, Wollumwick!' And then he suddenly broke down, and staggering back into his chair, he groaned. "'Lord, I massy on me! What's a more saying?' Ellen was too stunned to be able to reply. So, after sitting and watching him furtively for some time, she fetched a candle from the kitchen and went off to bed. Ben sat staring at the fire and trembling as he thought of the wickedness of his last words. Then his lips moved in silent prayer and he rose as if to retire. Changing his mind, however, he sat down again and went moodily on with his own terrible internal conflict until the striking of the long-cased clock aroused him and he slipped off his clogs and hastened upstairs. To his surprise he found his wife sitting up in bed and sobbing as if her heart would break. "'Ben!' she cried, lifting an agonised face. "'It's me, Ben! It's all me! Oh, funny tart! And it's me always as brought this on the lad!' And Ben, who had now quite recovered control of himself, bent over the bedside, and with unwanted and awkward tenderness stroked her hair and said soothingly, "'If thou brought it, it'll turn out blessing, wench!' Thy near brought me near else, and I never will. But what is it? But it is, Ben, it's me. Dost thou remember? Or couldn't I give him up? Wish, woman, thou'rt wondering. When he were a babby, Ben, he had the favour, thou knows, and thou says as we mud give him up and submit to Thor mighty. But when thou went downstairs, Ben, or oh, stapped him out of bed, and clipped him and cuddled him to my breast, I went down on my knees, and I said, Oh, in a Lord, oh, winna give him up, and now he's come back on us. Oh, Lord, forgive me. And again the agitated woman sobbed out her sorrow. Ben waited until the paroxysm subsided, and then he said, in low, coaxing tones, Helen, thee and me's been jogging along now for thirty year together, and we? What be that? and for thirty year we ain't carried our troubles together, hadn't we? What be that? Well, wench, we'll carry em together to the end. God bless thee. And he put her back with her head on the pillow, and stroked her face until she grew calm. Now, whilst Beckside was excitedly discussing its great discovery of the identity of the lamplighter, 
the subject of these debates was sitting quietly by his sister's fireside at beckbottom with a book under the table before him and one foot tucked up under his chair whilst the other was stretched out to the cradle rocker which he kept quietly moving leah his sister with her dress tucked neatly up about her waist was moving softly about the house for fear of waking the baby restoring the newly polished fender and mantelpiece ornaments to their places and putting the finishing touches to her weekend fettling every now and again she glanced cautiously at the cradle and presently bending over it she drew the coverlet a little farther over the baby's face and whispered it'll do now lad he's fast asleep bless him andrew withdrew his foot from the rocker and went on with his reading every now and again however lifting his head and glancing curiously at his sister as she went on with her duties after a while she put her dress down smoothed her hair washed her hands in the little scullery and came and sat down to her work-basket she was holding a needle up to the lamp to thread it when andrew raised his head and watched her when she had finished and was just picking up her sewing he said leah wench i'm going to leave thee and leah whose thoughts just then were far away so that she had not quite caught what he said asked what dost say i'm going to leave thee i've getten a fresh shop a shadow came over leah's mild face and she said with just the slightest ring of resentment in her tones well i hope it's a better now nah, then i dunna mean that i mean a fresh working shop i've been appointed secretary of minders association and i sat a livy duxbury leah did not reply for a time but at last she said regretfully well thou mun go thy own road thou allus has done and i fear thou allus will why leah what's wrong wi me wrong where doesn't thou go to th chapel where doesn't thou read the bible instead of them nasty bad books o thine where doesn't thou mix wi gradely decent folk secretary and here leah's quiet face flushed with sudden indignation thou'rt going to be a macker o strikes and lockouts and riots and a robber o poor women and childer that's what thou'rt going to be andrew was not in the least disturbed by this quiet unusual outburst from his gentle silent sister he smiled quietly waited a moment until her anger subsided and then he asked leah your chapel folk believe in he calls dunna you calls ay calls to be preachers and leaders and sich like dunna you well what be that well i've getten a call a call to help me darn trodden and foolish fellow workmen a call to fight for liberty and fair play i know or have or feel it wench and then with a sudden burst of intense earnestness which startled and greatly impressed his sister yes and mine's as mitch the call o god as a parson's is leah relapsed into a discouraged and pensive silence and andrew after a vain attempt to resume his reading picked up his book reached a bottle of ink and pen from the shelf by the side of the fireplace lighted a small paraffin lamp and retired to his bedroom study left alone leah pursued the painful drift of her thoughts and became graver and more perplexed as she mused what was there in this strange brother of hers that made him so different from other young fellows 
for years now he had scarcely had a companion or friend and spent nearly all his spare time in the house over his books as a member of their little family he was almost faultless he never stayed out at night and though she suspected by the amount of lamp oil he bought that he often sat up late he did it in his own room and never resented her remonstrances it was absolutely certain that as far back as she could remember he had always been surprisingly fond of her and the affection only seemed to increase with the lapse of time her little girl charlotte doted on her uncle and even the baby wakened up and put on his very pietist look when andrew came near him her husband although ten years his senior deferred to andrew's superior knowledge on all the larger questions of life and seemed in a quiet unadmitted sort of way to have great respect for his judgment luke whenever he did speak of him always said he was terrible clever but if so he seemed entirely unconscious of it himself for she had never perceived anything approaching to self-conceit in him as that characteristic was usually understood and yet with all these things she was compelled to admit that she was more than uneasy about him it was her nature to have misgivings about anything she loved very much and she certainly loved this queer brother of hers next only to her husband and perhaps the memory of her own courting days and the terrible risks which her love for the unpopular luke made her run to marry him were unconsciously blinding her to faults in andrew which other folk could see well he was her favourite brother and popular or unpopular she would stick to him only why was he now going away where she could not watch over him and why was he embarking on a course of life which the principles in which they had both been brought up so emphatically condemned the beckside methodists regarded all politics as anathema and were strong sticklers for the duty of non-intervention as far as professors were concerned at any rate but with all their dislike of bully-ragging politicians her father and those who thought with him had a still deeper detestation of those who went about stirring up strife and breeding discontent between masters and servants and she herself could not only remember two or three persons of that kind who had turned out utter wastrels but could also recall the misery and starvation which had been brought into beckside itself by their dangerous interferences what could there be under the quiet exterior of andrew to give him any taste for work like this as for his talk about having a call to it that seemed to her only to prove that he was already under the worst possible influences end of chapter fourteen